Support for This Might Be Helpful is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men and their 16 million balls worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping by entering the code ROSIN at manscaped.com. Now, I remember viscerally the first time I attempted to shave my balls. I skipped the YouTube tutorials. I stole my dad's electric razor. Sorry, dad. And immediately caused what I considered in that moment to be irreparable damage. For years after, even the notion of putting an electric razor near my family jewels elicited palpable fear, much to my partner's disappointment. That was until my Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 arrived, and boy, howdy, is this a game changer. Inside this package, you will find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Bowl Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. This is the future of male grooming, and I dare say the greatest bowl trimmer ever. And I can say that because I do not fear it when I pick it up. It feels quite safe and sturdy and gentle and loving in my hands and has an ergonomic shape that just provides a little TLC to those TLBs, tiny little balls. So, boys out there, if it's time to take care of yourself, go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping when you enter the code ROSIN at checkout. I wish your balls the best. Hello. Welcome back to This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it will be. I'm your host, Cam, joined today by Kelly Boys. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. I know this has been in the works for a while, and I've looked forward to it for a very long time. Your practices and, and yoga nidras and meditations have been something that I've engaged in for, you know, over the last six months repeatedly. You've been the teacher that I keep going back to, and... Now, even my nervous system is is attuned to your voice. So even just hearing that, I start mm -hmm. to settle. And there's just so much richness of sensation that comes from engaging with your practice. And I'm really excited to speak about that. So thank you for being here. Can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks so much for that. And I'm really glad to be here. Always makes me happy to hear when people share that they're getting a lot out of how, what I put out into the world, because I've also gotten so much out of what my teachers and other people that I know that teach this have shared. And so I know the feeling of really loving something. And um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a mindfulness trainer and I teach yoga nidra and have been teaching yoga nidra and training teachers in that I started about 15 years ago in my practice. And and right now I'm doing a number of different things. I'm a coach. I put yoga nidra content out on, on Instagram and YouTube and teach retreats uh, in yoga nidra and non-sleep deep rest. And I also work with the Foundation for a Mindful Society where we're looking to grow this project around creating mindful cities. So we have a couple cities we're working with and we're looking to grow the project that we have. And I usually have my hands in a couple different things um, on the board of the Prison Yoga Project because I worked in Prison Yoga for a couple of years and many other things. But right now I have a cat nearby and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> 
No, it's incredible. The the avenues that you can uh, take for this practice and how you can incorporate that into environments that otherwise are uh, pretty foreign to these ideas, you know, particularly the the prison setting. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how you got into that space and then what you experienced while you were in there? Yeah, sure. I always, I apparently, my mom said when I was a kid, I always told her that I wanted to go to prison when I grew up. I wanted to work in prisons somehow. I, I had this thing for prisons. And she reminded me of that later uh, when I did start working in the prisons that I used to tell her that when I was a kid. And so it, basically, I think the first prison I worked in was a jail in Cincinnati, a women's jail. And I had just learned yoga nidra. I'd gone through the training to be a teacher and I loved it so much and it was transforming my life and I just wanted to get in there with it. And so I walked up into this jail and basically said, I'd love to volunteer. This is what it is. All you need is yoga mats. I can bring them. Can I teach this here? And they said, yeah, go ahead. There's 50 women. Um, so I would go there weekly and teach a series on yoga nidra. And as I was learning it, you know, I mean, I was absolutely a total newbie to it. <laughs> and um, from there later, I was uh, living in California and then worked at San Bruno County Jail with, and that was with incarcerated or jailed veterans who were sort of in transition. When you go to a jail, you get everything because people are there on their way somewhere else. And so that was quite an experience. And James Fox of the Prison Yoga Project heard that I was going into San Bruno County Jail, and he was in San Quentin State Prison in Northern California. And he came and visited the jail with me and then took me with him into San Quentin. And we just decided to start working with incarcerated veterans in San Quentin. And we, we developed a program we taught every week for two years and would go onto the walk through the yard and be with the same group of guys, you know, and this was anywhere from really young veterans to Korean war veterans. And um, would teach he would teach yoga and I would teach yoga nidra and they they would say afterwards this is the only time we feel like we're not in prison is when we do this yoga nidra and some of them would actually listen to cds right <laughs> we listened to cds at cd players like on repeat at night in order to deal to combat the um, night terrors or nightmares they might be having from combat trauma, etc. So, yeah, it was it was an amazing time for me. I learned so much being there in in that group, and feel like it was one of the biggest privileges I've had to be able to be in that environment and teach. And I think I was actually drawn there. I I, I wouldn't have said this out loud to myself at the time. But I had been in, I had been married very young and the marriage was, was, a, there was domestic violence involved. And so that was like age 18 to 22, so young. And I think I was really working through and sitting with, you know, the other side of the spectrum. It's like, what causes people to do this? And is there hope for rehabilitation and for um, engaging with your taking responsibility, but but also self-forgiveness and then getting back out into society and doing different, you know, and and so I think that was driving me as well. Although I never brought my personal experience into the room, of course, never said anything. I actually ran into um, 
it's rare. So we were teaching veterans who were um, lifers with a potential for parole. So these were pretty serious offenses that they'd had. And I actually ran into one of the guys on a trail once and he said to me, you know, um, we never knew, you know, your story, but we knew that we could trust we could trust you. There was something there that you'd been through. And so I think that um, for me, it was healing to be able to offer these practices in an environment where people are typically kind of thought of as, you know, hopeless or just not something, not people to invest in. And yeah, it's a bit of a long answer to your question, but. (laughs) But that's what we're here for, the long answers, because we, and you speak about this in your book, uh, the blind spot effect, and mm-hmm. how we want to be seen, and we, we have this need to be seen, to be called forth and be seen in, you know, our entirety is a lofty goal, but to be seen in this full expression of ourselves um, in a compassionate light, and we are often kind of desiring, craving to be seen by people that are not really seeing themselves. And so it's hard to expect that of them, expect that of others if they haven't had that ability to show up and and face their own blind spots, to be able to admit that we do have these obstructions to our perception and obstructions to connection. And one of the things I think that makes us really receptive to the wisdom and teachings of others is there's this recognizable but kind of undefinable aspect of resonance that comes when somebody is speaking from experience because that experience has a correlate to compassion and that compassion makes people feel seen and so they can show up with all of themselves and not showing up to a practice thinking i'm only here for my best self it's like i get to show up with with all of me and all of these parts of me that get to be be called forth and and loved in the open to be able to come completely out of hiding is a really beautiful gift Beautiful way to say that. Yeah, yeah. And, and to, to be willing to be seen for kind of all of who we are. And, and then to have that human pain that, you know, some people haven't done that work yet, and or may not do the work and, and to, to reveal ourselves to ourselves anyway, as we're as we're encountering that person. And then the compassion that can come with seeing where they are on the path. And then the beauty that can come when there's actually a meeting from wholeness. It's like, hi, I see you. And, and, and it's all welcome. You know, it really is all welcome, including the really yucky bits and including, including the tough stuff, because I know all of this is in me, too. Mm-hmm. And, and then the nervous system really settles when that's known. And, 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 and it's a... It's an embodied kind of a knowing that you have, right? And of course, you always build trust with someone over time. But when there is that sense that I can be here fully, can I can I can be myself in this person's presence and in my own presence? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty radical. Mm-hmm. It is. It is radical, particularly when that's never happened for you. Uh, when you, mm-hmm. especially you know, in that prison setting where they have been you know punished for something that occurred and uh, in your book you discussed the uh, you know you added up all of the life sentences how many years these people would be in prison for and then all of the minutes that 
there that those instances took to get them in that prison and it was minutes that attributed to years and that flash in the pan that second of unconscious reaction that reactivity where you know they do something and they go oh my goodness what what just happened what have i done and it's like this accumulation of things occurring in the blind spots that then manifest in this this visceral moment and it doesn't mean that's who we are it's like being able to reflect on these things as what happened to me these things that occurred as opposed to these things that i am and when they're things that occurred we can have a we can almost snip the direct attachment and identification with that thing so that we can see it more from these different perspectives and then create that space that allows us to to love and forgive that thing and that space of vulnerability is it's the key in being able to love yourself because vulnerability means you you need to accept these parts mm-hmm. of ourselves that we keep pushed away. Absolutely. Yeah, it's again so well said and 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 there's that kind of compassion that does, you know, arise in you as you meet those parts and and as you do see it kind of what you're talking about as kind of a play like oh the unconscious and what has come before is now kind of coming to light and i can see it now and i don't have to be identified with it it's not who i am essentially and if i'm able to kind of anchor my identity in something more essential more real real and lasting then okay, I can kind of withstand the fact that I've done something awful, right? I can withstand the fact that I'm not a perfect human being and then I can face it and then take responsibility. And and I think these are these things are key for all of us, right? Because what happens when we hurt someone is the defense goes up. Like, no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It's you, right? And all the, all the things that come up in the face of having to face one's own sort of you call them failures of failures of empathy, failures of 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 action. And and so for me, writing the blind spot effect was I was wanting to kind of level the playing field and go, hey, we're all in this together. Nobody has this <laughs> right here. Some of us are learning, you know, quicker. But this is this is something that that we all have. Um, the capacity both to harm others and then also to like, rectify that by by being in relationship with with the mm. other right and and to to be able to be in the the prison where I was able to see some of that transformation kind of over time and I'll really say James Fox is the one I mean he's been going in there I think now it's 15 years weekly, if you could imagine. And often it's twice a week and he has a long drive to get there. And just work and now the prison yoga project is global and there it's in it's in so many prisons around the world. And it's just amazing to see what one one person has done with that kind of dedication and and that kind of seeing, right? Like he's deeply mm-hmm. seeing these men. And I think there was something neat about he and I going in together too. Um and he's, you know, you, there's the wounding in us of the masculine and the feminine and to be able to go in there and kind of hold space and to um, be solid and steady every week, kind of shaking the guy's hands and meeting them just where they were. You know, it just it was it was quite an experience. And 
you know, being in that setting as well, where you are working with, um, with you know, really challenging circumstances, because there are, there's, there's undeniable pain and hurt and trauma. And so often the thing that, that got those people in that prison was really just an accumulation of all the things that happened to them in the split second of, of emergence. And so there are things that happened, right? And we discuss awareness as, you know, awareness is key. And there are so many, obviously, flavors of awareness and dimensions of awareness because being aware of a pattern doesn't absolve it. We can be aware of it, but what is the quality of that awareness, the character of that awareness? And how can we be aware of what happened, but with a different relationship to that thing? Because we're not ever meeting reality directly. It's always a reality mediated by our relationship to reality. And so, you know, for me, this, this practice of meditation, of yoga, of yoga nidra is changing our relationship to reality because what is seen is really how it's seen. And we can be aware of something, but until we are aware of it through maybe the uh, perceptive lens of love, then that's when we get to kind of move forward because the story changes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It so changes. And, and yeah, there's, it's almost like before you you can try to hack something, you know, you, you're, you're trying to really work with a pattern and, and we all do that. And so, and that's the other thing is there's no one formula <laughs> for, for how to find freedom. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we can work with something, gain insight, really see the pattern, but it's still, it's like, there's a way that it still has us. And, and then sometimes it's just sitting with it and cooking in the stew of, of meeting yourself, meeting yourself, meeting yourself. And then, yeah, this like love breaks through. And, and it's almost like a grace at times. And sure, other times it's a skill that you, you know, that you build and that you apply to the situation. But sometimes it's truly like a grace. It's like this freedom opened up. And, I, you know, I have, I have my own experience. I have clients that come and say, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to get back to what it was that brought that level of kind of inner freedom and, and, and clarity from this pattern. And I don't know, you know, and, and I can say that it's, it's often what you're speaking of is, is you're tuning in more to the awareness that's there in a, in a, in a way that like, if you do it to try to break through the thing and get rid of it, et cetera, it won't work. But where if you line up with it, like line up with the truth and you, you're lining up because you really believe and know that in your being and then the kind of love kind of shines through and then you see this. I like y- your use of love and the word love and it's like love shines through and then you see this pattern and and then there's this whole different relationship with it and mm-hmm. things can really dissolve or they can kind of revisit in a couple years or it comes back again and again over time and that same process happens. It's it's a bit of a mystery how we work with our unconscious and with our patterns and with what's coming to light in ourselves and then how that gets integrated into more wholeness. And then, you know, we can then be in the world more in, in a way that we didn't yet know that we were capable of. Mm-hmm. And it's this, you know, this process of self-discovery and discovery of the selves, 
it's it's amazing because right now there's so much cultural emphasis on self-love and self-compassion and you know mindfulness as a theme is in the 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 general collective zeitgeist which is incredible but with that cultural emphasis on self-love also comes doubt because i think that for people who haven't maybe yet discovered that within themselves to ask them to love themselves is a big ask and especially if they're you know over on this spectrum of being entrenched in shame you can be aware of all your patterns in the world but if we're relating to all of those patterns through shame it's not something that we want to bring into the light shame likes to be in the shadows it likes to be in the trenches like don't look at me i'm over here being shameful yes i know i have things to fix i know i have things to work on but just don't look at me and so how do we start to bridge this experiential gap between these different states of consciousness because every state of consciousness has like a, a character of energy, a character of awareness, mm. and also an amount of almost directable energy. You know, I think about the energy of anger and there's lots and lots of energy, but it's very challenging to direct consciously. Whereas once we get to these stages of like acceptance or courage, willingness, the quality of the energy starts to change and we can direct it a little bit more consciously. And so for someone who is struggling to understand how they can love themselves without feeling like they're deluding themselves, where would you start? Hmm. Great question. <laughs> yeah, you know, you'll feel it when you're when you're kind of deluding yourself, right? And, and some people will say, well, fake it till you make it. Well, <laughs> I mean, sure, try, like, you know, try to do the self-love thing and see where it doesn't work. And there, there, that's where the, it's like, there's the crack, that's where the light comes in, right there. It's like, where is this not quote working? You know, like, how am I using this as a hammer instead of, you know, a skillful tool right now to, you know, it's like, let me get away from this shame by loving myself. I love myself, I love myself. No, I don't, okay. Um, that did not work there's something inside that the whole being and psyche says no and i i don't even know what this means to love myself and there's such a gap right now for me between you know my relationship with myself and what i'm hearing someone say it can be like and it's like how do you bridge that gap that you're talking about and and you know the 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 way i know is to to meet yourself right where you know there's there's this kind of crack and the lights coming in and then it feels uncomfortable and it's shame and it's it's all the ways that i've up until now refused who i am essentially and it's like refuse these what are actually totally gifts um of of, of elements of, of who we most deeply are but then they were shamed somehow and then the shame sits on top of them and so it it's how could i turn toward the shame as a friend and shame is such it's it's one of the hardest emotions to feel you know it really has to do with getting out of being out of the tribe and you know i'm not okay as i am it's the worst feeling right and so it's not one of those emotion one wants to really turn toward when you feel it. And it's like, how can I get out of this and get back to self-love and find the real self-love? And the truth is it's turning toward the shame and meeting it. And, and, you know, that simple process of welcoming, not so simple when it's, when it's a tough emotion. And then as I, as I, I was just working with someone recently and, and helping them, really turned toward the shame they felt as a contraction in the belly that kind of arose in social 
circumstances, right? And then to be able to turn towards that and meet it and and they kind of said they forgot, oh, it's so simple. That's right. That's right. That's right. Just meeting it. Yeah. And just feeling it. Okay. Oh, wow. Interesting. I'm starting to feel more calm. It's like there's this love coming in now. And, and oh, wait, one of the, if you really resolve shame, um, what one mentor of mine said, it goes, it resolves into potency. So you get to actually find your, your deep aliveness in the world. And uh, so the shame can can be like a portal to this kind of aliveness in the world. But it's a very strong messenger to keep yourself small just in case it's not correct, right? <laughs> or all sorts of other things. And I'm not okay as I am fundamentally. So if I'm able to turn and meet that and be with it and see the kind of beautiful mess um, of, of my life here and, and get more and more comfortable with that, more and more comfortable with that, that's self-love. That is self-love. I don't have to sit down and love myself at that point. <laughs> I am loving myself by turning toward what's painful. And by growing the capacity to to be like see myself as whole with the brokenness kind of that's felt too. That, that there's actually it's not like I'm getting to wholeness. The wholeness is already here, and that is and is sort of sort of turning towards meeting, welcoming in, and then integrating this shame into more fullness of who I am. These things are subtle, and <laughs> but it's nice to, to talk about them in this way because so that people can really see this is what the potential of this work is. It's not like, go meet your shame so you can feel better. <laughs> it's go meet your shame because, wow, there's a, there's a precious gift there waiting to be delivered. And it's this presence with the practice that you need as well, because if it's all outcome-based, then all that we are doing is for this next step. Maybe this will heal me. Maybe that will fix me. But when we maybe lack that fully embodied sensation of self-love, we still can engage in acts of love. It is an act of love to turn towards the shadow. It is an act of love to sit with all that is emerging within me. It is an act of love to allow that to come and allow it to pass without pushing anything away, without pulling it closer. That is all an act of love. And through these practices, we do start to build new pathways of love. So with this thing that before, maybe it was an experience, maybe a memory, maybe this pattern that we've identified. And the only way that we knew it was through these pathways of shame. But as we decide to act in accordance with love, we do build these um, these networks and their emotional correlates so that no longer do we have to travel the same path. We can take different roads and it's not about deleting what is there, but we can create new roads so that we have new options. And it's like driving somewhere in, in the dark for the first time. You don't really know where you're going. You turn down the music, you're looking for the exit and and it's, it requires more concentration. There's an element of confusion that you have to roll with. But then as you continue to drive that road, it's more and more clear. And then you can take it at will. You don't need to think about where you're going. You just know where you are and you know that you'll get there. And I think, you know, especially the practice of yoga nidra, you are really consciously discovering the topography of your cognitive and emotional landscape. And that's you know these blind spots it's almost like that blind spot exists where the boundaries of our beliefs are 
sorry, all right, you, you don't love yourself. Why do you believe that? What beliefs are contributing to this notion? What kind of criteria are involved for self-love? Is there some kind of unspoken, implicit expectation of how this should feel and what it should look like? Or are there belief boundaries in place that once recognized and realized expose you to this blind spot and maybe that blind spot is not a bad thing at all maybe it's not something that you've been running from just something that you weren't aware of an aspect of love that was always there mm. <clears throat> that is so beautiful beautifully said truly and and yeah i think it's really important what you say that that you're, you're putting it out there that hey this is possible to see from another way like this is actually you know you don't have you don't actually have to slog through it too there is a possibility for all of us to to break through the, the conditioning of the mind and to see more clearly and to see with these eyes of love and the transformative eyes right and and where you know just to say that it's possible to see something so radically differently than the way that you're currently seeing it and i say you i mean me and all of us <laughs> and and all the ways to get there there are varied but like you say once you start to um, get used to that then you you can find the pathway more you know it's like a groove in your mind and you find the pathway for it and then interestingly once you find the pathway for it and then you, you're using it as a tool to get rid of something, it won't work anymore. <laughs> you have to find a new pathway. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's this, it's, it's this elusive thing, which is sort of a perspective or just this, this awareness that, that we all have uh, ability to have contact with, but that won't, shape itself to you know the way that our ego structures itself with control and doubt and 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 moving from managing things it's it's much more wild and free than that and then when it gets applied into situations it's it's really fun actually and then you can kind of start seeing life as like even though this is really painful right now this pattern that is surfacing so i can speak for myself you know and i have one right now it's kind of surfacing it's it's not overly painful, but you know, enough to where it's getting my attention, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and it's just, and you, we can forget, it's like, oh yeah, right, right, this too, this too. And then this is actually, as you say, this is this is kind of a roadmap to more wholeness. This is, this is coming in with, if I have that growth mindset to be able to actually open up this whole um, aspect of myself. I didn't know it was possible that I could believe in life in this way or see with the eyes of love in this way and 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 then it's in this constant kind of growth path but one that isn't there where you're trying to perfect yourself mm. you're just curious um becoming more and more whole and and full as as you go and and that's where i like that idea of the blind spots because it's like there you know the unconscious is is broad in each of us and it's collective and it's individual and it's familial and you know um if one wants to really dive into one's psyche and and as it applies to life moment to moment you know that, that there's a lot there but when you see from this simple lens of awareness and love then 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 things do actually become simple oddly right and it's such an interesting process 
And that simplicity is so kind of funny and paradoxical because in order for anything to be you know, really simple like that, it's like we need to take the infinitely complex road to get there. Like mm-hmm. the, the notion of just show up, like it's so simple. It can't really be confused. All you need to do is show up to the circumstances that allow what you would what you desire to unfold, but only through the repeated and sometimes laborious process of showing up do we see the simplicity of that message. And you know, this is the same with 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 anything that we want to do. The answers to these really big questions are, are really often so simple like to just you know just do the thing to do the thing that we know we should do to do the thing that we know will make us feel better it's so obvious but we have the the resistance to it because we have so much you know symbology and and obstructions to our perception and we think about like the symbology of of exercise and how much uh is correlated with that with with dieting and self-shame and insecurity and fear and rejection and then we can look at it, you know, particularly through this practice of meditation where we get a little bit of space between these things and we can see that resistance as not something to fear, not something to be ashamed of, but like, oh, there's there's the gate to freedom. I'm, I'm resisting this. What is beyond that resistance? What obstruction is channeling this stimuli into me in this hyper-personally relevant manner that maybe is inhibiting from me from from seeing what this could be and so we have these questions like all right these things that cause me angst and and turmoil maybe they are not what they appear to be maybe that is a story it's an energetic imprint from some experience that we collected and that was what happened but what happened isn't who i am maybe who i am can be discovered by moving towards this resistance and maybe it can be fun. Maybe I can really enjoy doing this. Maybe I can love all of these parts of me that I, I'm afraid of. These parts of me that I haven't been willing to call to the surface. And maybe when I do that, I'll discover that I, I didn't need to reject these things in the first place. That healing isn't this this absolution of something. It isn't you know, extracting me from ever needing to deal with it again, but it does help me change my relationship to it. And I can love myself while still having these difficult days while knowing that this journey is ongoing. I'm never going to reach a a finish line where I go, all right, cool. All my patterns are solved. I'm done. (laughs) Tick, tick, tick. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. The whole thing of meeting resistance is such a good way. And I like the simple mindfulness definition. I I got this from the Mindful UK report. um, And it's just paying attention in the present moment with curiosity and kindness to your inner and outer environment. And, you know, there, there's something so good about the simplicity of that and then applying that to what you're talking about. And then if I apply that to resistance, well, that takes a little bit. <laughs> it takes some learning. It takes some practice. Okay. Like, all right, how do I, how am I mindfully aware of the resistance? And without like just kind of becoming this mindful robot that's like, I'm noticing resistance. I'm noticing resistance, right? Like, no, like, I'm going to engage with what I'm noticing too. And so, you know, and that's just, you, you, you develop that way of being 
And, and then as you get engaged with the resistance, like you say, you know, the welcoming comes in. Uh, mm. Mm. You're creating this, this space for more of you to coexist with all of you. And, you know, we have these many faceted versions of the self and kind of looking at the self as really this um, shape-shifting vehicle that carries us through the never-ending variability of circumstance and change, you know, rather than this self that needs to be defended, like, this is me, that's who I am, I can't help it, that's just what I am. Whenever we're leading with I, me, and my, that ego is in control, and the ego doesn't want to be threatened, it doesn't want to change, it, it likes things how they are, how, how, how it sees them. And so when it comes to these defensive mechanisms of self, how can we use that as a as a tool to discover what exists beyond that the parameter of that self mhm mhm yeah so <clears throat> with defense in particular that's a it's always a sign that there's something being protected and there's more to know more to see the thing with defense is it feels so believable in the moment and our nervous systems are so wired to, you know, kind of either attack or run away or do what they do when we're being, you know, defensive. And, but that defense, when it comes up, if, if we see it as a signal that there's something really important here that I'm trying to protect, that is an aspect of, of what I'm identifying with as who I am. And, and, and if I were to, you know, in, the, in a safe kind of a place, in other words, when I'm with myself or when I'm with a, a friend or a therapist, you know, and not necessarily, ex, you know, exposing your belly to someone who's going to attack you, right? But if you're, if you're in a place that you can really look at this defense with curiosity and, and, and be really, really, truly curious, like what, okay, what is scary to me? about this and what's at risk here it's like what's at risk here and and were i to lean into that and lower the defenses a little bit you know what would i i have a friend matt lakata he is a just wonderful human he's got a big following i think on on instagram and he always says um what is it you're not wanting to feel what is it you're not wanting to feel? And so when the defense comes up, that's often you're not wanting to feel vulnerable. You're not wanting to feel what the thing that's at stake. And if we're able to turn toward and meet that part that feels vulnerable and that feels like something at stake, it's almost like that gets welcomed. And like I say, I think integrated more into the fullness of who we are. And, and kind of paradoxically, then we don't have such a strong like egoic hold on our identity is like by turning toward and meeting these parts and integrating and welcoming them. I can actually say, you know, this is all a play. This isn't me at some level. And yes, it is, but it's not something I need to defend and, and attack others to, to preserve. There's, there's something more essential that's stable and, and safe and good here mm -hmm. that it, um, it's hard to describe, but yeah, I think part of that is just lowering the defenses, but also being really uh, kind to oneself about nerve, you know, like our nervous systems. And this, I'm so curious and interested in the nervous system and how it 
<laughs> basically governs so much of what we do. <laughs> and, and so, you know, to, to also be kind with yourself about that. And if you're, if you're feeling like, you know, you, you're uh, needing to defend, you really have to bring your nervous system back down to a baseline before you can look at what it is that you're defending. And then once you do, there you go. There's, there's a lot of possibility there. Mm, and that's where that mindfulness comes in. That, beautiful interplay between attention and awareness. If I can grasp with my attention that there is something that I'm not really willing to feel right now, and then I can use that top-down processing to ask, well, why don't I want to feel that thing? Without any judgment or criticism of the answer, just really asking the question and seeing what kind of answer emerges. I, I asked myself, uh, there's a friend of mine, Tommy, who's a brilliant, just a brilliant teacher, neuroscientist, deep into the meditative practice. And he will always text me, you know, always ask me, what is your current state of mind? And what is your intended state of mind? And I can, it's a beautiful mm -hmm. moment of reflection. All right, what is my current state of mind? Well, maybe a little bit anxious, maybe not very motivated, maybe fearful or feeling disorganized and scattered. But what is my intended state of mind? Well, my intended state of mind would be uh, grounded and clear and you know driven by my purpose at least in tune with this intrinsic desire to continue acting out my dharma acting out my purpose the the, the allevi alleviation of suffering and that begins with my own i we have to use that interplay of, of attention and awareness and mindfulness to then go, all right, so there's something that I would like to instigate a change here. I would like to shift my state. I'd like to change how I'm thinking. But in order to do that, I'll change how I'm feeling because that foaming, broiling mass of chemistry in there is the script that the actors of my thoughts are speaking in accordance with. And if I want the actors to say something different, I'm not going to shout at them. I'm going to change the script. If I can change how I feel, that will just naturally begin to change how I'm thinking. And it's this kind of top-down and bottom-up approach and where we meet in the middle of that. If I can think my way into an intention and then use that intention to feel my way up into my thoughts, then we kind of have this junction in the middle. And when those two are harmonious, the top-down and the bottom-up, that's when we have these moments of... Oh, everything is okay. Okay, there are mm -hmm. things to work on. There always are. But everything mm -hmm. is okay. I love that. Yeah, it's almost like you're naturally doing these opposites. And there's some work, a lot of work in Yoga Nidra with working with opposites where, yeah, you, you're, you're feeling scattered or confused or whatever it is. And then you go, okay, well, if this wouldn't, if this weren't here, what would be here? Okay, clarity and calm and then you really feel that state and then you and yoga nidra then go back to the sorry you go back to the scattered and confused and then you kind of go back to the feeling calm and clear and then you hold both simultaneously and you just see oh okay yeah and like you said like something's deeply okay here equanimity is present while these states are coming and going so you've kind of unhooked yourself from one and then you but then you're willing to be sort of fluid with them so yeah okay so sometimes i can feel that and i know that i can turn toward the opposite embrace it feel it in my body and then and then check and see what's here now you know so it's it's a really wise way of getting yourself unstuck 
without refusing your experience because it, when you're doing it from refusal, then it all gets very confusing and it'll come come back with a vengeance, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're doing it like, okay, yeah, you know, in this moment, I'm going to drop and do 20 push-ups because, you know, that's, that's actually what is best for my nervous system. It's not mm. turning toward my shame in this moment, right? It's, it's um, taking some kind of a, a skillful action in the face of what I know to be true. Mm, a skillful action in the face of what I know to be true. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's really beautiful because it's also to, to attain any kind of skillful action is a practice. We can't expect these things of ourselves um, before we've really initiated that. And I think expectation is a, a big part of being able to practice sustainably because similar to how any time we are defending who we are, we're really defending who we were. Because even as we've spoken those words, that moment that we ascribe that to has passed. And so we're always saying who we were a moment ago. We can never capture who we are right now. And so really, the present moment is where we have greatest potential to meet, accept, love, and be all of ourselves, all of ourself, the, you know, that capital self and it's not something we can describe and put a label to and and define because as soon as we do that moment has passed and expectation mm -hmm. is disrupting that embodied presence because i'm only present for this next moment and what i may get out of that and so really this conscious letting go of expectations is another one of those snags that we can let go of and by identifying those snags and those expectations and, you know, maybe even the blind spots that those threads are coming from, like, where is this expectation coming from? Where did it originate? Is there, is there a space in me, a blind space that is, is holding on to more of these threads? Is there something over there that is being throwing these expectations and, um, and, and kind of desperate desires at me from afar that maybe I'm not seeing. And sometimes you do come across these blind spots that are not just a single uh, kind of isolated, you know, conceptual place, but really this, this realm that many things are coming from. And, you know, we can treat the symptomology of it, the, the leaves and the trees. But if we are really wanting to dig at the roots of this thing, we have to look beyond the content of that thought and more to wherever this this energetic you know line is coming from and so when it comes to you know the practice many people know that we should sit with our feelings but also that knowing is kind of a lot of it is baseless right we know many things but those knowings are like these isolated pockets of information perceived and received through various streams of information. And the way that we looked at that information determines how usable it is, how relevant it is, and how empowering it is. You know, people are on social media all the time and they're constantly getting things that they should do. Even listening to me, there'll be people that listen to myself and go, oh, I really need to be meditating. I really got to be doing this. And 
there's so much that they know they should be doing and i think that that accumulates into this this overwhelm of like oh there's so much to do there's so much work to be done i got to do the inner work and it becomes this kind of externally mm-hmm. motivated thing yeah how do we mm-hmm. recalibrate and find some mm-hmm. kind of center that allows us to work with what we are and where we are mm, yeah yeah so great yeah just a good question to live with and i i do think in many ways we're apprenticing ourselves to the unknown and just at the i love david white's work uh you know where it's just that he's that poet that talks about you know you're just just beyond yourself is one of his poems what he's talking about you're seeing at this horizon that you don't you're you're looking toward a horizon you don't quite almost yet see it's coming into view and and we're apprenticing ourselves to the unknown, but it's it's actually very simple moment to moment as we do so, we can trust that we don't need to overwhelm our nervous systems with all the data that's coming in from, from our conscious and unconscious and from the world around us. We can actually do these rest practices to, to bring our nervous system back to a baseline, kind of feeling of ease and rest, and then there's that next moment. And, and then I'm, I'm open. I'm more open to what's not known here. I don't see it as a threat. I don't um, see, see all of this as something to figure out. And, and what you were speaking to is when you do start to actually step back a little bit even further than you're seeing, it's actually not about just kind of looking at each of those beliefs and seeing where you're in your own way. You're, if you if you want to go for it, you know you're really diving beneath that into the core of you, and into the core holding that's there. That's like self world, and something's not okay about that. And so this thing needs defended here. And so I think these rest practices like yoga nidra really can support us to just begin to release that holding and release that essential holding. And when that gets more loose and actually becomes released then those those it's sort of like trickles all the way up you know into into all the layers of the psyche and something is known about who we are essentially it's like you just kind of see that the way you've taken yourself so seriously um and know you know this it's just this feeling of seeing how you know, you're playing whack-a-mole with all your beliefs over here and then another one pops up and then they get that one. And it's like, well, okay, if you just go like take the machine apart, you know, and like get down to the mechanism that's driving that thing, right? And then as I meet that, it's just as at a sensate level, it's a, it's a very embodied exploration. And then as that begins to soften or perhaps release entirely, I see, oh, okay, there's something about the way I'm holding myself separate from the world around me that's unnecessary. It's actually unnecessary. And I'm and I'm I'm scared of the freedom that I'll break out into were I to really release that. And but it's good to, I think to to say this and speak of these things because often when you hear so much about mindfulness and like things you should be doing, it just it's like the self-help hamster wheel thing. I think I put that in my book where 
you can get on that wheel. And uh, as one of my mentors said, you're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Like the whole thing's kind of good. You're like, wait, let me just move this around over here, you know, and it's just kind of going down, right? And so, um, like, what if, what if you, like, just see that you know you're 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 sort of trying to manage something that can't be managed you know and that as you let go of that managing there's some kind of a deeper release of holding and i see i'm not separate and and wow you no wonder we defend ourselves from this recognition because then there i'm breaking out into freedom i'm breaking out into autonomy i now don't know what the next minute holds and here i am for it and and with it and and so it requires kind of a great deal of all the skills one has built on the path right to be able to to apply to that level of kind of uh of 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 shift in perception and and of course then it can come and go and then there's all kinds of ways to work with what's what's called spiritual awakening or spiritual recognition there and and it doesn't look one way but but that that there's this there's this level of freedom i think that we're talking about in this conversation that is included in it is the path of mindfulness and the path of yoga nidra and all that's possible there but also um it it kind of blows a lot of that out of the water in terms of just all the things you need to be doing. And then you're there with your life and then you do the things that's there to do in the next moment, right? Like what's here for me in the next moment. The I think I was quoting um, C.S. Lewis this morning in a class that I taught. It was something like, you know, what's joy bursts forth, he said, um, when we just do the good work that's there to be done in the next moment. And it, when, when we stop trying to like create joy, but we actually just let it burst forth because we're taking these actions spontaneously moment to moment. <laughs> mm, that just, even that feels so good to to mm. hear the, the, the spontaneity of it because that kind of, it allows us to, tune in more to the absolute finitude of each moment and through that finitude the the finite nature of our lives and every moment we live it can take away that feeling of everythingness that needs to be done like by definition you you will not do it all you will not solve everything you will not figure it all out the absolute most that you can ever hope to do is be able to meet each moment with intention and as that intention evolves being more open and through that openness a softening and that softening helping to defocalize what you're seeing so that it's not so sharp and edgy but really this 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 blanketed softness that through that kind of almost deliberate haze we can see these greater pictures you know, by, by by sharpening the view and looking at the individual components, I, I'm not sure where this piece goes. I'm not sure where that piece goes. And that confusion that comes from a, a destabilized worldview, because sometimes the practice is very disruptive to what we thought we knew. And we do make this kind of direct contact with reality. And sometimes that's very confronting because in a moment, your beliefs can fracture and the world feels more unsteady because your ego doesn't know what to do. And then, of course, mm -hmm. you know, the ego will easily latch on to, well, well that was awakening. I'm awakened now. <laughs> and this, this beautiful 
you know, <laughs> loop of, of, of gorgeous contradictions and how the work is never done, but the work can get more fun. And by meeting ourselves where we are and giving love to the nervous system through practice and the integration of these new understandings of self and the willingness to explore beyond what we perceive to be, we can come into direct contact with reality and with ourselves in a way that is quiet but very profound. Mm. Beautiful. That, that's that's a beautiful, beautiful summary right there. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, that's incredible. I, I know Julie, that these these love your articulation. Well, thank you. I mean, they've a lot of it has come from engaging with your teachings, and there are a lot of beautiful, beautiful teachings on on waking up, and you know, everywhere. And I think that you know, for anybody listening, it is important to. You know, find teachers that you really resonate with, teachers that do speak from that experience that, that allows you to be f seen and heard and felt fully, but also know that willingness and openness allows you to be taught everywhere you go. Um, but I highly, mm -hmm. highly suggest and recommend to anybody listening to this right now, uh, listening to Kelly's teachings, I will put them all in the description of the podcast um, Kelly's book, The Blind Spot Effect, How to Stop Missing What's Right in Front of You, is a, is a wonderful gateway to discovering this, these realms of, of capability and potential and love and evolution that you are already walking around with. They're not foreign. They're not separate. They are here with you and always will be. And through opening and softening, we can meet these beautiful little parts of ourselves and and love them fully so kelly is there uh anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with oh i'm just really grateful to i've had the chance to speak with you today and yeah it's, it's a it's a delight because i love the the work that you're doing and and i'm really glad that you reached out it's these kinds of conversations are really important to me to have because yeah, there, it's it's about the stuff that I love so much and in, in live and um, I'm curious about. So I love hearing this interplay of like the way that you're able to articulate it um, back and and in your in your words is is really beautiful. So it's just been a pleasure to be here. And yeah, thanks for um, mentioning. Yeah, I have people can you know find me at my I have a website kellyboys.org and I'm on Instagram kelly.boys and and teach retreats and um, have different programs and things that I put out. So feel free if you're interested in Yoga Nidra, definitely. I have I have some things that you can find, lots on YouTube, lots, tons and tons of um, free, like hour long classes I've done that are on YouTube through the, um, through the Alembic in Berkeley. And so, you know, you can get, you can get a lot just, just on YouTube actually. <laughs> all right, well, I'll drop the links to all of those in the description, everybody. Um, please go and really enjoy them. It's, it's such a treat for the nervous system. And with a, you know, a regulated, open nervous system, what you see changes because how you're seeing it has changed. And that is the most beautiful, superb gift that you can give yourself through 
a few minutes of of intentional stillness and allowing yourself to be led. So Kelly, thank you so much for being here. Um, you're a beautiful teacher, and I'm I'm really grateful to be able to spread your word. <laughs> Thanks so much.